A second very related challenge is along those lines, I see people that work typically as an IC have sort of these built-in productivity metrics and feelings. Like that workflow that they're used to gives them a pretty good feedback loop of how productive they are. Welcome to the Creating High-Performing Teams podcast. Our goal is to be the most actionable podcast on leadership and management you ever heard. We want you to walk away knowing exactly what you can do to be a better manager every time you listen. I'm your host, Jason Evanish, the CEO of Lighthouse. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Evanish, CEO of Lighthouse, and this is the Lighthouse podcast on leadership and management. Uh, we're here to help you learn how to be a more effective leader and give you actionable advice you can put to use today. Uh, I'm excited today to have Fabian Camargo on the podcast. He has been a software engineering leader for over 20 years. Um, first, he was a software engineer himself. Then he rose to engineering manager. And now he coaches people specializing in engineering managers. So, Fabian, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, kind of, let's, it's an interesting journey, especially, I think, for engineers to trans, transition from being an individual contributor writing code to actually managing people and potentially even building an organization. And so I'm curious, what got you into management? How did you first become a manager and take that leap from uh, from writing code to managing humans? Sure. Um, I mean, I think my story is probably very similar to a lot of people in, in tech companies where I started off as, as a software engineer and I was pretty good as a software engineer and I got promoted to management based on me being a pretty good software engineer, right? It was actually a, a fairly long time ago, and I don't remember all the details or even the details of the conversation. But as far as I can recall, it was more of like, you've been here for a while, you're doing a good job, the team is growing, we need somebody to manage, you know, do you want to do that? And that that was really, there wasn't a whole lot more thinking and planning to it for me than, yeah. than that. That's cool. Were you at a startup at the time? Was it like a quick going startup kind of situation? Yeah, no, I was at a uh, probably like, I don't know, 250. Well, no, I started at this company that was probably 250 people when I started. By the time I got promoted to management, it was well on the way to being like a medium sized company. Pre okay, IPO, cool. but, but definitely past the startups. Phase. Cool. And. Uh, as you kind of got into management, what were the what were the things that maybe you enjoyed the most, or what was maybe most surprising uh, making that shift? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think if we look at the sort of my, my journey as a manager, um, the, the answer to that question is for me is not so much from like the the first time where I was a manager. Uh, I think that when I was first a manager, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a lot of training. I don't remember enjoying it particularly that much. Um, so I was a manager at this my first job, maybe one or two people. I went into like a little startup where I was the head of engineering for like engineering team of one. Uh, and then in my third job is really the, the place where I started to lead a team and where I think the sort of the bulk of my, my passion for management and my enjoyment of the management sort of practice came to be. And so looking at that later phase of, of management in my career, um, there's a few things that, that 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 stand out. I think I think you could look at sort of the you know the bigger things like getting the satisfaction of seeing the people that I manage grow in their careers. Um, I do vividly remember like having a lot of satisfaction when the team sort of delivered on a project 
independently where I, I wasn't really involved in writing the code for the first time. That, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. But I think the core of that answer, actually, the, the thing that I enjoy the most and, and probably one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I'm a coach now is I, I really enjoy talking to people. Like I enjoy being in a room with one person, having a conversation for an hour. Mm-hmm. That thing, like having one-on-ones, and now I do it as a coach, is a thing that I really enjoy and it doesn't feel like a lot like work to me. That's great. So what what is what do you think it is about that? Is it like the puzzle of people like what people are like? Is it do you like people problems better than engineering puzzles or like yeah, what no, do you think it question. is about those uh what do you think it is about those one-to-one relationships and meetings that you enjoy? Um I mean, at, at some level, it really is just the the act of, of talking to people that, that I enjoy. Like, uh, but it's also um, a conversation where I'm not, in some sense, I'm driving, but it is it is more about just uh, the other person and learning about them and trying to help them solve that their, their problems. Mm-hmm. But to your to your other part of your question, I think my uh, I certainly like in my earlier part of my career, it's fairly straightforward. Like. I knew I wanted to be a programmer. I went to school for computer science. I got my master's in computer science. I came out, I was a software engineer. Like I, I was passionate about technology and programming. Mm-hmm. I'm still really interested. At some point, like that shifted to more interest in, in management and people stuff. And I think it has a lot to do with the um, performance, just the this complexity of people problem, uh, this, the magic of like getting a team to really be like high performing, that's a really interesting and difficult problem uh, mm-hmm. that 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 was just very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, what did you find was most challenging in making that transition? Yeah. From from <laughs> from engineer to manager, what were kind of maybe some of the hard, harder lessons or, or or surprises? Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. I, I actually. <laughs> so it's funny, right? Because I don't think I was a particularly good manager at the beginning. Um, and, and one episode that sort of stands out to me was I got a, a, a person that was assigned to me and my, my first instinct was that I had to assign them work and give them work to do and, and tell them how to do that. Um, and I had given them an assignment that I thought they would like and that I had a lot of good reasons that I thought they would get value out of it and, and they didn't see it that way. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't realize cause you know, I hadn't spent the time to like talk to them and understand what was important to them or even really explain to them what my motivations were. Um, so, so for me, it was, it was a little bit of a challenge, uh, sort of wrapping my head around what the value add of a manager was, how I was supposed to do that, especially when I, I didn't get, I don't recall getting any training. Um, I don't <laughs> yeah. recall having like a mentor or a coach. I had some really good managers that were very strong technically, but yeah. they weren't necessarily like super strong on, on the people side. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, it, it just took a long time for me and I had to learn by trial and error. Um, I think I, I was also working in companies that didn't have, we, I didn't have one-on-ones with my manager. Like, um, and when I started management at my third company, it wasn't common for managers to have one-on-ones. Uh, so even I had to, go through a journey to like understand, Ooh, this is important. Um, and I have to admit that your, your blog was very helpful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a common story. I mean, even, you know, famously Google thought 
do we need managers? Yeah. Do they even matter? Right. And they literally, I love this, you know, they did the experiment. And they said, okay, we're going to take, a, I think it was 100, 100 engineers and put them on a project. And we're going to take another team that's 90 engineers and 10 managers. And it was so bad. It was like the Stanford prison experiment of workplaces <laughs> because the engineers on the like free-for-all with no managers became such a disaster that people from those teams were like, you need to stop this experiment. It's a it's it's a disaster, um, and the man the manager side, uh, you know, continued to run like a weld machine. And of course, you know, the the long term lesson is that Google ended up going and doing research on like, wait a second, if managers are important, what makes a good manager? And of course, they've done yeah. a lot of fantastic research on that. But th- it is a very 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 common trope for especially engineers to be like, how does this person add any value? Do they right. really even matter? It's just overhead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're overhead, and they're like this person Slowing who bothers me, me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's funny how, like, you can tell what stage someone is at in their career. I think, like, based on where they're at with like that opinion. Like, um, mm. there are of course some people who get like very senior and still don't really believe in the value of their managers. But like, there's a lot of engineers I know who even like don't want to be managers or were managers and are happy, more happier coding. Where sure. like they get at a stage in their life where, like, you know, that manager does a lot of things for me. You know, they're they're, <laughs> they're kind of the uh, you know the crap umbrella from stuff for me, and like you know having a good manager they'll take care of me and things like that. And uh, it's just a, it's just really interesting to me to see how everyone kind of goes through that journey of realizing the value of these people that. Otherwise, like you look at their calendar or you look at like what their day to day to do list is like, you're like, what? Like, that's not real work. My real work is over yeah. here doing this thing. Right. Um, uh, and so it's funny kind of making that making that shift even just in the value perspective, let alone like what the actual responsibilities and tasks are. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of zooming out, you know, you've had yeah. your experience, but now also you coach people. Doing that engineering to manager transition, what do you find are kind of some of the hardest things that managers have a hard time uh, learning and, and yeah. mastering to be effective? What are the things that maybe you feel almost like a broken record with your clients that you uh, <laughs> keep helping them deal with and, and, and navigate through? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the broken record because uh, I think I want to almost caveat, right, that as I'm explaining this, if, if one of my coaches happens to be listening, that I'm not necessarily <laughs> talking about them, because I have had some, some conversations that are almost identical. It's mm-hmm. eerily similar how they are. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll, pref- I'll start by saying that it, it depends, right? And so it, it, sure. and in a lot of these, these questions, the answer is usually it depends. It, it matters. It depends a lot on whether, you know, uh, how management is viewed in your organization. Um, mm-hmm. It depends a lot if you're being asked to go from an IC to a pure management role or from an IC to a hybrid where you're doing both. I think yep. those, those challenges have, a, there's some overlap there, but they're, they're slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are three things that come to mind, and there are others, uh, but sure. there are three that, that come to mind, especially for, for engineers. Um, so the first I'll point out is, is the time management becomes yep. harder, becomes a challenge. Right. I think if you look at the, the day-to-day or the week of, a, of an IC, a lot of times, um, you know, some people might have productivity systems, but a lot of them mm-hmm. don't because they don't need it. Like they, right. they can basically wing their time management and it works really well. <laughs> they, they get up, they log on, they have a list of tickets or user stories that they want to work on. Yep. They work on them. 
Maybe they have a meeting here or there, but they mostly work on the stuff that's on their list. At the end of the day, they've done some stuff uh, and they can see that they've done some stuff. Mm-hmm. And they don't have this challenge of like, how am I going to get my work done? It's mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. And then, so when when they make that transition to management, whether it's in the hybrid or the the full, um, but especially maybe in the, in the hybrid where you're doing both, mm-hmm. that sort of free-flowing time management, uh, it'll just work out, starts to break down. Right? And yeah. now they find that they're their day is broken up by a bunch of meetings. Uh, they have people that are asking them questions all day and they still have to, to do, find some time to do some IC work mm-hmm. and, and they just have a really hard time and they, and they feel a little overwhelmed by trying to figure out how to do both. So that would be one, one challenge that that's very common. Yeah. The sec. I don't know. Do you want to? Did you want to add to that? Yeah, I was gonna say I, I I totally agree with you, and I think hybrid, especially for engineers, is so hard because that whole idea of getting into like deep work and yeah, exactly. and deep focus and flow is is a non-trivial challenge to solve. And if you're peppered by interruptions by your team needing things, or you have meetings that just block yeah. up too much of your day, it is extremely easy for you never to be able to get the IC part of your job done. Or what I find engineers love to do is when you're struggling with someone new, something new, you like to go back to the thing you're good at and that you're yeah. comfortable with, and that's writing sure. code, which yeah. means then you just shirk all your management responsibilities, sure. which then hurts your team. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and I think, so trying to figure out or getting to this point where they're more deliberate, more thoughtful, and they put in the system where they can figure out how to block off time for IC work, yep. focus work, deep work. You know how to fit that in how they can do both um, is a challenge a second very related challenge is yeah. is along those lines i see people that work typically as an ic have sort of the, these built-in productivity metrics and feelings like that workflow that they're used to gives them a pretty good feedback loop of how productive they are yeah and if they make that shift either to the full management or to the hybrid, it's very common for them to feel unproductive, right? All of a sudden, all these metrics that you're used to measuring your productivity, your velocity, your, your ticket count, any of that stuff yeah. goes down. Mm-hmm. And you're feeling like you're, you're working just as much, maybe even more. And you, but you feel less productive because you're having a hard time wrap your head around wrapping your head around the the value of that the management work like the one on ones the meetings the the time that you spent answering somebody's questions um, that just wrapping your head around that that productivity and and getting comfortable with with feeling productive as a manager mm-hmm. is is a real challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's very interesting when you're a manager and you're just trying to figure out was this a good day? I don't know. Right. Like, like like what is a good day? Is it a good day that you like helped solve a crisis really well, or is yep. it a good day you just like unblocked your team and got out of the way? Yeah. It it it's it's hard to measure and like they're they're good in different ways and it's like yeah, it's just like checking off your to do list is like a whole whole another game. So I mean, I, I think I still feel that sometimes today with like Lighthouse and like I'm juggling things with my team, and it's like, well, I didn't get a lot done on my list, but I unblocked my team, and they're all producing right, right now. So like, I think it was a good day, even though right. like I objectively don't feel like it was a good day. Yeah, 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 and it, it, it is sometimes just wrapping your head around that feeling and, and, and 
finding a system or a way to make that work visible so that you can feel productive because all your other metrics that you're used to are telling you that you're that you're not yeah absolutely so what's number uh what's that third the match and then the third? the third challenge is slightly different and, and is related to 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 coaching in some ways but um like if you follow my path right and you're you're promoted to management uh because you were really good at, at being an ic right mm -hmm. You're used to being good at doing the thing. You're now put in a position where you're supposed to support other people that are doing the thing that you are good at. And you're told that your part of your responsibility is to, is to support them and help them. Mm -hmm. The tendency, and you're an engineer, right? So you <laughs> see problem, fix problem. Yeah. The tendency when, when somebody on your team come and, and ask you a question about that thing that you're probably better at them at doing yeah. And, they, and they ask you for help, the obvious and natural tendency is to fix it for them or to do it yourself, right? Tell them what to do or even just jump in and fix that problem. And that's not always a bad thing, right? Sometimes that is absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah. But in the long run, like if you're playing the long game, that is not the most productive way to sort of get your team to grow. Um, and so trying to resist that urge of, of jumping in and doing the work of fixing everybody's problems and helping them grow to the point where they can do it themselves, where they can hopefully even do it better than you were doing it. Yeah. For engineers, it's so hard. It's so hard. Somebody comes and asks you a technical question. <laughs> yeah. Like, why would you not answer it or even say, oh, I can do that. Let me just do that for you. Right. It's, it's so, so hard. Yeah, it reminds me of that old proverb, teach teach a man to fish versus like give a man a fish he eats for a day, right. teach a man to fish he, he eats for a lifetime. It's it's the same idea. It's like tell them the answer, you know, and they uh, they have to come back to you tomorrow. Right. Teach them how to uh, search search for it on on uh, yeah. uh you know, search for the answer and get it Stack themselves and like yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like it's funny. Um I was getting dinner uh, a few weeks ago with a guy who's an engineering manager. And, you know, he was telling me, like, he's like, I am the laziest manager, and that's why I'm good at my job. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, like, at first, people didn't realize, like, he was kind of saying his hyperbole, but he then was explaining himself where he's like, well, the lazy manager wants people to do everything themselves. And so he's like, I spend all my time teaching people how to be self-sufficient yeah. and, and, like, protecting my team from things that get in the way of them being productive. And then my team ends up getting everything done they need to, and... I don't. I honestly have to work that hard, except in a crisis, right? And but but it's like it's such a mental shift, and I think it's also so tempting, especially when you're still in that phase as an engineering manager where you're like still the expert, yep, on like the latest things. Like it feels good to be smart. It feels good to yeah. have the answers. Absolutely, yeah. And, and sometimes you feel the pressure to need to to, to have those answers. And and to, the flip side of that story is that if you do end up being the bottleneck or solving others problems you're probably going to be working a ton right and you're <laughs> exactly. going to burn yourself out um and you're going to be doing all this work because your team is dependent on you to to help them with all their problems yeah exactly yeah you're creating essentially a you're creating you're building a system within your team that is that is a you're the bottleneck and you're mm -hmm. going to potentially be running into all kinds of issues trying uh trying to keep up with that as your team grows yeah. because I think the other thing no manager is prepared for even I was surprised when, when we learned it when we were writing about it on the lighthouse blog is this idea that like 
your team's communication lines grow geometrically. So when you have two direct reports and you add a third, there's there's more communication over it. And then it's more complex going three to four, four to five, five to six, six to seven. Every single time, it is harder to add the N plus one person than it was to add the the nth person. And I don't think anybody is really prepared for that. And it's one of the like constant growth curves that managers have to be on to keep up with that and to recognize that like, as soon as you master, like, oh, I'm, I'm really good at managing six people. <laughs> it's like, congrats, hire a seventh. And it's like, oh, this is even harder than it was yeah, when yeah. I had six. It's always harder. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, cool. So so thinking, thinking a little bit more about, like, that, that journey of, like, choosing to become a manager, let's talk about, like, what are some of the wrong reasons to become a manager? Sure. I mean, I think, again, it, it depends, right? Um Sure. And an answer that comes to mind is, is is you don't necessarily want to do it just for the promotion, mm-hmm. right? And and I want to caveat that like out, you know, getting the promotion, having more compensation, or whatever it may be. I'm not going to say that that's that's a bad thing, um, but it is. Um, what's the word? What do I want to say here? Like when I started, I think there was it was much harder to see a, a career growth path outside of management. Mm-hmm. And I think it's still fair to say that to this day, it's it's still probably the most obvious way that people see to gain seniority, influence, um, mm-hmm. even power in the organization. Yeah, But I think on the tech side, a lot of companies have come a long way into providing an alternative growth path on the yeah. technical side, right? For most companies now have two, two career paths, the technical side and the management side. I do think it's still a bit of a challenge to, to say that they're equal, but there certainly is another another path there. And so it's not that, I mean, I think if, if you do it and in, in, in the promotion and the influence and in, in the going up the career ladder is, is important to you, that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But if you if you do it and it's and the management is just a really poor fit for you and mm-hmm. and like every day you, you know you're having a hard time it's just not the thing that you like enjoy doing mm-hmm. that that feels to me like it's not worth it right you're you're setting yourself up for for being pretty miserable at work and 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 probably not being that great at it right and so one of the things that we're trying yeah. to avoid with these two career paths is we don't want to take somebody who's really good at what they do promote him to be mediocre at this new job because yeah. that was the thing that you know the career path that we had for them and so that's a real that would be a real shame right so i think now trying to yeah. find a really good fit for your career that's a good mix of like you know your interests and your skills and your experiences and the things that you're sort of intrinsically motivated to do uh, i think would be a better reason than than to do it just for the career advancement Absolutely. Yeah. I think it comes down to like essentially like money and power, right? Like, or, or like money and ego, you, you know, the financial incentive is definitely always an interesting carrot. But like you said, I'm really glad to see more and more companies realize that like you should have many levels of engineers in your company. So people see that there's a growth track and that creates opportunities where say, I know a lot of engineers who love love coaching young young junior engineers on how to be good engineers they, yeah. they, they they absolutely love it but they do not want to have anything to do with writing performance reviews yeah, yeah. people <laughs> problems like my dog died and i don't feel absolutely. like working today they don't want to do any of that yeah. 
Yeah. And so I think one of the really brilliant things that some of the best companies have done, and maybe we'll do a future show on this, is just you create a path for that IC to grow and you realize that there are these things that you can unlock that are like, hey, you know what? If you want to become a principal software engineer, you need to become you know, the smartest person in the company at this technology and you need to mentor at least three people on that technology. And it's like, oh, that actually feels like an achievement to unlock that c- creates new challenges and gives you a reason internally as a company to justify paying them more money that yeah. does not involve the management track because like you said like no one wants to sit and be a senior software engineer for a decade and have their salary go up two percent a year and that's it like that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna make them either change jobs or get bored or jump into management and they shouldn't simply because they're like well i got a 20 percent raise when i took the management job so even though i don't like it that much i'll take it yeah I think then the other side of it too then is that ego and power thing where I've 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 met many a manager who were like, well, I want to be a manager because I want to be the boss and I want to make decisions. Yeah. And, and and I think maybe Fabian, you can comment on on what some of the downside is of thinking you're the boss and like getting to make all the decisions for your team is is what it means to be a good manager. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's another. This this idea that as a manager you will have more control and you'll be able to tell what pe- tell people what to do um, is is a pretty big trap. I think um, in it's almost like if you think about the like not to overuse it like a sports analogy, but a player and and a coach, right? Mm-hmm. You actually a lot of times when you go into that management role have less control, right? You're trying to get things done through other people, yeah, uh, and you can choose to try to do that by telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, that that may work in certain situations, right? Mm-hmm. I think in it certainly worked well in sort of throughout the Industrial Revolution. Um, I mean, I love like Daniel Pink's book, Drive, where he talks about yeah. intrinsic motivation and the, and the research that they did there. And yeah. that sort of an extrinsic motivation, right, of telling people exactly what to do, uh, rewards and punishment to get to motivate people to do their work works mm-hmm. really well when the job is fairly straightforward and there's like one clear way to do it. When it's an assembly line, yeah. Assembly line and there's one one clear way to do it the best way and your job as a manager is to tell them what it is and make sure that they do it that way. Yep. But that's not the world that most of us live in in the, in, in yeah. the tech company, right? Yeah. The, the job, the work now is much more innovative and creative and, and if you're lucky, you're trying to do something that's never been done before. You, mm-hmm. Nobody even knows what the, what the right solution is. Right. And, the research then that that that, um, that Daniel Pink talks about shows that the telling people what to do and the extrinsic motivators actually makes people perform worse on those yeah. tasks, which is totally yeah. counterintuitive, right? So if you, if you want to go into management so you can tell people what to do, and you're working in sort of this uh, cognitive, creative, innovative environment, you're actually probably going to get your team to perform worse, yeah. right? And, you know, how happy are they going to be, right? How, how, how much, how intrinsically motivated or engaged or satisfied with their job are they going to be when they, they don't get to grow, they don't have any autonomy in making some of the decisions? Um, I think you, you, you'll, be, you'll be disappointed <laughs> in well, the results. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you you wouldn't want to work for you at that point. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like, like you, I see with boss you that behaves like that. Yeah. You'd be like this person's terrible. Uh, I w- you know you wouldn't want to. And so even if you're 
you know, one of the things that I think sometimes happens is you have a bad manager and that becomes your example. And, yeah. and then you're like, well, when I do it, I'm going to do it my way. And it's like, uh, like you, you may just be repeating the same mistakes with a slightly different flavor. But yeah. I, I love Daniel Pink. Uh, we'll, we'll link in the show notes to his TED Talk. I think it's fantastic. We'll also link to his book. Uh, the TED Talk specifically talks about some of this research, I think, in a yeah. really great way uh, around kind of the, the, the creativity and finding solutions. It really crystallizes. So we'll make sure to link that. That's a, that's a great call out, Fabian. Yeah, um, you know, thinking about a listener, one of the things we get a lot with Lighthouse is in addition to managers like reading our blogs and, and contacting us, we also get people who are aspiring to be managers or thinking about if management's for them. And so what advice would you have for a listener thinking about becoming a manager to tell if management's actually for them and that they should uh, real, you know, try to push for that promotion or try an yeah. interview for like that entry-level management job? That's a really good question. Um, there's a couple of things that, that come to mind. Uh, another book that I think I might have seen on your blog as well, but that I, I use a lot when, when this question comes up is uh, The Making of a Manager by Julie Zhao. Uh, and she talks about this thing. And so I think that's one approach that you can take is these three questions that she talks about that you can ask yourself. Mm-hmm. The first is, do you like talking to people? Which I think, right, for me was a very resounding yeah. yes. Absolutely. Um, because as a manager, you're going to have to talk to people in one-on-ones and meetings or whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to point out that it doesn't mean are you an extrovert. Mm-hmm. And th- those two things are not the same. And, and I know a lot of people that are more on the introverted side that are very good managers, right? And mm-hmm. that are very easy to talk to in a one-on-one setting or, or a small group meeting, right? You can be a very effective manager even if you are more introverted. Mm-hmm. But you do kind of have you do just have to like talking to people. Like if you don't if you you know want to be left alone and don't want to talk to anybody all day, management's mm-hmm. probably not a great fit. Mm-hmm. The second question that she has is, um, is there like a a task that for you is your craft, like coding for example, or it could be writing, it could be whatever it may be that you just really enjoy doing, and like your job satisfaction c- comes from doing that thing most of the time. Right, maybe even all the time. Like you really want to just spend all day long coding, all day long writing. Sure. Versus, do you get more satisfaction from like getting it done and doing whatever it is needed, wearing whatever hat you need on that particular week to get the job done to support your team? Because if you like more variety, right, more variety in your in your week, management's actually a pretty good fit, right? One week, your your team's gonna need. Um, you know, a lot of product planning. Another week, you're going to have to be doing interviewing. Another week, you're going to have, or even in your day, right? You're going to you're going to go from a one-on-one meeting to a project meeting to maybe doing a little bit of coding to maybe thinking or strategizing a new initiative, like how should we improve our performance management process mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. There's just like a lot of variety in your day. Yeah. Which on the flip side can be a lot to keep track of, but. But if you prefer to wear the hat that's needed instead of like you have that one thing that you really like, management could be a good fit. Um, and the third one that she points out is, can you bring emotional stability to an emotional uh, situation? And I'm paraphrasing. I might be getting the wording a little bit wrong. Um, sure. But, you know, as a manager, if a fire, if there's a fire or, or even a difficult conversation that gets really heated, um, it's probably better for you not to be the person that's like just pouring oil on the fire, right? You, you want to be that person that can sort of get some clarity, calm things down, and, and move towards a productive um, solution. 
I think those those are. Go ahead. I think you wanted. To yeah, yeah. The, 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 that's a great list. Uh, I especially like the craft one because I think I've definitely noticed a number of friends who have gone into management and then gone back to being an IC, and it's usually because their craft is calling them. Like they yeah. they really miss that thing, whether it be hey, I love writing, and the only writing I do now is emails, yeah. or I love I love you know building elegant backend APIs, and they like sure. don't get to do that anymore. Um, I think the one thing I would say, uh, if you're a listener, to think about with if you are the kind of person who cares about craft, one thing I found personally, so my background before I started Lighthouse, I've been a product manager throughout my career. And one of the things that I've found is that I genuinely enjoy teaching my Mm. craft. And so I, I have found like a new layer of love. Like I still love, like honestly, I really enjoy interviewing customers and like distilling their needs down and figuring out an amazing way to work with engineers and designers to ship a great product. That is still something I'm passionate about. And every time I get to do it, I love it, but I don't get to do it as much. But one of the things that I still love and people I mentor and coach now uh, in product management, I love teaching that craft to them and seeing the same passionate light bulb go off on them. So uh, I'm not sure, Fabian, if you've seen any of this with some of your coaching clients, but for me, I have found that there is a way where you might be able to rekindle that love for your craft through teaching other people to have that same love and how, how to do it at the same level you did it. But there is that fine line between, no, I really just want to do it, and yeah. I love teaching other people to find the same joy in it. No, that's a, that's a really good segue to, to sort of the other idea that I had, because um, I think there are some there are some ways that, that even if you really enjoy that craft, you might be able to scratch that itch. Like you might be able, it it might be okay if you just get to do it like one day a week, or if you have a side project where you get mm-hmm. still get to do it right. Um, but the another approach that you could take to try to see if if this uh, if management is a good fit, which relates a little bit to, to what you're doing, what you're saying. I'll use another book reference because I read a lot, and I know you do as well. Yeah. Uh, but the I think it's called The Art of Impossible or The Art of the Impossible by Stephen Kotler, um, who does a lot of research on flow, which is super interesting and, and relates to everything that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has he talks about uh, I think he calls it the the passion recipe. Um, mm-hmm. But the the part that I I, I want to talk about here is is sort of. Um, are you curious about management? And then when you try to go to explore that curiosity, mm-hmm. does that feel, does it like kindle even more curiosity? And mm-hmm. is it easy for you? Like if you say, oh, I'm curious about management, let me go read some articles on the Lighthouse blog or read this book. Does that feel like work or does that make you want to read another one, right? Mm-hmm. And so to your point, is there a way to take that passion in your craft and sort of use that and change it into a slightly different passion to the different craft, which is management, which is what happened to me, right? I just, mm-hmm. like, it became very technical, but then I got really passionate in the craft of, of being a really good manager and, and finding that problem really interesting. Mm-hmm. So if you can explore your curiosity and, and, and then pay attention to whether it, it feels like work or to, uh, mm-hmm. you just want to go down that rabbit hole or to because it's fun or is it because you're forcing yourself to go down that rabbit hole Uh, and that could be a good indication on whether management is a good fit for you now and I'll add that here because I think and I would be uh, I think I fit in this in this bucket too is that you might test that today and say no no no, I still want to be a coder you might test that five years from now and find a different answer I know that 25 or probably even at 30, I would have been like, no thanks. Like, I, I want to write a lot of code. Yeah. Like, even if I'm managing, I still want to write a lot of code. 
and that mm-hmm. totally changed my, later in my career. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's funny, actually, one of my favorite questions to ask people as I'm getting to know them is to say, if money didn't matter, what would you be, uh, what would you be doing? Or put another way closer to what mm-hmm. you were talking about is the, is the idea of the question of what's something that you love to do that other people feel feel like is work, but you enjoy, yeah. but you enjoy anyways. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's amazing that the broad answers you get, because sometimes you get people who are like, oh, I'm passionate about music or, you know, I'm passionate about this hobby. But then you also get a lot of people that are like, oh, I really love X, Y and Z. And I love reading these things. Like for me, I was an electrical engineer as an undergrad um, at Northeastern. And I remember that really stark moment. One of my best friends, Dave, it was hilarious. Um I would tutor him in all of our really tough math courses in engineering, and he would have to tutor me in all of the actual like engineering stuff, like circuit design and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I looked one day, and it was like, what were we doing in our free time? Well, in my free time, I was reading Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People and obsessing over like Richard Branson and Mark Cuban because they were like the coolest entrepreneurs at the time. They were like, <laughs> what Elon Musk is today, that's what they were back when I was in college. Yeah, for sure. And then meanwhile... My friend Dave, in his free time, was building stuff. So exactly. like, he took an iPod Shuffle and and like, opened it up and rewired it so it fit inside of a old school Nintendo controller, and then made it so that the controller buttons controlled the iPod Shuffle. And so I realized like this is probably dating me quite a bit for some of the younger <laughs> listeners, but like this was so cool he got in a Macworld for it, and like he, like. He didn't even apply to get a Macworld. He wasn't trying to do it for that. One of our friends submitted it because they thought it was so cool. And, like, that's just what he did in his free time was all kinds exactly. of stuff like that. And that's when I had the epiphany. I was like, I'm not meant to be an electrical engineer. Like, like Dave is going to be so much better than me at this because of his passion for just building stuff and tinkering that I don't have that I need to find another path. And that led me down the path of entrepreneurship and product management yeah. and all those sorts of things. But recognizing what you like to do in your free time that other people would consider work is yeah. a fantastic way to find your path in general, even if it's not specifically to management. But especially for management, it is something to look out for to make sure you're passionate about some of the things that are related to the responsibilities of being a manager. I love that. And, and it's I relate to it so much because I had a very similar, similar light bulb moment, right? For me, the moment I realized that I was really passionate about it was when I looked at my Kindle histories, like, what yeah. am I reading? Yep. Right? And it was there was no technical books there to be found. It was all like performance stuff. I had become a parent like around 2010. And so I, I was yeah. also reading like communication and performance yeah. and, and, and all these things that were people related. And, yeah. and that was a really light bulb moment. Um, and, and I'll also add that sometimes people have this idea that, oh, I am X. But then when you ask them to actually look at what they do for fun and then the specific yeah. things that they do, like you said, that, that don't feel like work for them, that they just do when they have some free time, sometimes they're like, it doesn't match. And then they realize, oh, you know what? Actually, this is what I like to do. Right? And so I think I love that question. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so let's talk a little bit about, we've been talking a lot about this inflection point. And I think it's really interesting when you make that transition from, from IC to manager. And, and so I think one of the things you can have that's kind of tough is you can have what I'd almost call buyer's remorse. So, you know, someone already is a manager and they're starting to realize that, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Like they're having that kind of crisis of conscience to say, like, is this the, is this the right move? And certainly if you were to go to your manager with that question, like that's a pretty earth shattering thing. And like in a lot of cases, 
there's not really any coming back from that. Like telling them you're not sure the job is for them has them immediately <laughs> start to like react and possibly do something. And so in my experience, uh, a lot of people really stew on that for a while. So I wanted to kind of drill on that with you a little bit. Sure. And so I'm curious, like what's a sign that somebody as a manager is struggling with learning new skills versus I should be an IC. I should go back to being an engineer. Right. Like, like, what's the? How do you tell the difference between those two? When maybe you're that person, you're not sure if like this is a new, this is a new job, this is a new set of responsibilities. Of course you, of course you're going to struggle. But like, what's the difference between struggling and like this isn't what I should be doing right, right now? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question, and I'm, I'm gonna again throw again a, a, a book uh, reference here. Um, this time I'll use well. I think grit is something that gets, um, for very good reason, right? It's something yeah. that we value a lot, especially in, in the U.S. And um, mm-hmm. Angela Duckworth, I think, is the author of that yeah. book called yeah, Grit. Yeah, Angela Duckworth. Which, fantastic book, yes. Which is a fantastic book, right? And so there's so much value in, in being gritty and sort of this American never, never quit attitude. Yeah. But now you're starting to see some, even from her, some very interesting research to sort of show the dark side of grit. Uh, and I'll, I think Range by David Epstein is a really good book as well, mm-hmm. where they talk about, yeah, it's important to be gritty, but it's just as important to quit the things that are <laughs> a bad fit yeah. and to find that thing that you should really be gritty about, which I think is the core of your question here. Like, is this a thing where you should be gritty and stick it out and just spend the time and learn that skill? Mm-hmm. Or is this a thing that you should be quitting because it's not a really good fit? Yes, that, um, is, that, that is the question that I, I, I would love for you to answer. And I don't think you're going to give us a silver bullet today, Fabian, but give some course. people some things to chew on I think is really yeah. helpful because it's, it's one of those moments where I think one of the biggest challenges of being a manager is just not having anybody to talk to about these kinds of things, but yeah. having a lot of these thoughts in your head for a long time before you do talk about it. So I know a lot of people listening are probably having at least a few of these mm-hmm. doubts creeping in. And sure. so giving them at least some ideas on how they can maybe start to uh, see which side of the coin they're on. Yeah, no, I, I, so I'll give you two ideas. One, sure. one is a, sort of the strength-based idea uh, of management, right? Mm-hmm. If you can take a Clifton Strength Finder uh, assessment or, or have a really, you have a good relationship with your manager or somebody that you trust, that can, you can have a really good conversation about what your strengths are. Mm-hmm. And you understand sort of the, the requirements of the management position in your organization. Mm-hmm. Can you paint a really good picture about these are my strengths and I could see how I could leverage them to be a successful manager here? Right? Yeah. If, those, if those strengths are really, it, if you can't see a good picture there, then maybe you, it might be time to think about whether that, that's really a good fit. And then the other thing, the other approach is more of a growth mindset approach. Um, which I'm, sometimes I feel like are, are a little bit at odds, uh, but it relates to, to the, this, some of these other questions that we just talked about. Like, if you have a growth mindset and you are motivated, right? You have the time, you have the intrinsic motivation, like the problem itself, the, the process, right? Yeah, you might not be good at these skills right now, but you're enjoying learning them, right? Mm-hmm. And you're enjoying like the, that struggle, if you have the intrinsic motivation, you have the time, and you have some decent instruction or coaching, or you're getting some some feedback that helps you improve, mm-hmm. well, the growth mind says says that you'll be able to, to learn those skills because they are skills, right? There's yeah. a lot of skills that you can just learn if you have that motivation, if you have the time, and if you have um, some good instruction or feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
I, and I think this is this is the inherent inherent challenge here is uh, you do have to develop new strengths and skills to be a good manager, and certainly having a growth mindset is important. But like you said, there's like that dark dark side of grit where like when does grit become yeah. like enduring or yeah. suffering? Like yeah. there, the, you know, there's there's a fine line there, right? Right. Um, and understanding which side you're on, I think does uh, it requires a lot of uh introspection and, and looking yeah, within sure. to say like am i enjoying this journey is it, it do i feel like there are exactly. parts of the job that i really like you know i think one of the things that can be really powerful about management is is this impact you see you have on people you know it, it may not necessarily be things you can throw on your resume as a bullet point but yeah. some of the best things about being a manager is when you see you like unlock something new for one of your team members or you show them how to fix a problem that they thought was intractable but actually isn't like those sorts of moments if you can learn to enjoy those they can give you the juice to keep going yeah but if like those kinds of things just like <sighs> right i ju- finally i can breathe like there's yeah, no yeah. more bs today like if you're feeling that way like that's that's a you know that's a negative sign so it's like are you finding things that energize you and motivate you to keep pushing yes um yep. Or are you are you finding that actually these things are deflating and you're like, right. man, that took all my energy. Almost like if you imagine, you know, an introvert who tries to force themselves to be an extrovert is going to be yep. really tired. Yep. Um, and while introverts can be actually excellent managers, my point is more the example of like if you tried to be a, an, a, an introvert, force yourself to be an extrovert, and you go to a party and try to socialize with a ton of people, you're going to come home every night and be like, I am so tired and yeah, yeah. wiped out. That like you're not going to get like you're not going to be able to overcome that like that does yeah. is fighting against who you are, and so like look for where you're getting energy and use that energy to feed that growth mindset. Or yeah. if you can't, if you're not getting that energy, then that is probably where you should have that conversation with yourself, your manager, or a close friend, and say, "Am I finding things in this job that's good right. for me, or or am I just slogging through it?" Because that's going to show to your team too, which I think is an underrated part of struggling as a manager means that your whole team feels it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so thinking about it then, if uh, what should you do practically? Let's say they have done that reflection and they yep. say, you know what? Whew, it's been a rough six months or it's been a rough yeah. 18 months or you know, however long it's been. It's like, I'm just not enjoying this. This is not working for me. What should you do if you become a manager and realize it's not for you? How do you have that conversation with your manager or uh, – I mean, do you have to leave the company? Like, what yeah. do you do? What do you do if you wake up and you're like, this, this promotion didn't work out. I need, I need to, uh, uh, you know, uh, undo that. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And like you said, it could be a really scary conversation. Um, yeah. And of course, the answer is it depends. Uh, but but one, one sort of strategy that you might, you might want to try or, or, or take is, is think about um, what is a better fit for you and, and how can you communicate the, the value add to the organization, to the team, from you going from the manage, this management role that is not a good fit for you to a different role that's going to be a better fit for you? So mm-hmm. it could be right going back to the IC side, and, and you can, there are things out there now about and different paths and different ways for you to, mm-hmm. to uh, show technical le- leadership and to be a multiplier and to have influence on the technical yeah. side. You don't have to do it through the management side. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it could be a totally different role, right? You could say go to PM or or uh, or, or sales or something else, right? But right. do you understand? So practically, 
if you look at your organizations and see the different departments and the different roles, can you find a role where you think you would be a really good fit and you can paint a really good picture on how you would add a ton of value in that role? Now, does this then you, are you suggesting like literally looking and saying, hey, here's the job openings my company has and like bring in the conversation about a lateral move? Or is this like almost, uh, you know, trying to pitch the perfect role or pitch something else yeah. you want to do and hope they accept it? Like, uh, or, or something in between. Think, okay. Think both, okay. right? I think, yeah. I do think, if, you know, understanding your organization and what the different departments are in different roles. If you have a specific role that you can point to and say, I could crush it at that role, and mm-hmm. the organization would get a lot more value from me doing that than what I'm doing here, I think that's a good option. If you can craft a role, that's super interesting too, right? Um, and, and depending on your organization, uh, sometimes that might be easier than, than not. A lot of organizations, some will be not super receptive. Others are, I mean, they're, I mean, they want you to be successful and to add a ton of value to the organization. Yeah. They're happy to craft a role where you are going to crush it. Right? Mm-hmm. And so if you can, if you can say, or I mean, even, you know, it depends on the relationship you, you have with your manager, but you could have this conversation with your manager and be like, look, these are the, some of the things that I'm good at, that I'm really excited about that I would be super motivated to do. Like, can, can we work together to sort of craft a role where I can use these, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then on the very practical side, I think also being willing to, understanding that this might be disruptive to the team and, and mm-hmm. sharing that with the manager and saying, look, I know this is probably not what you wanna hear. Um, this might be a challenge. I'm, I'm happy to work with you on a transition plan and doing whatever I need to do to make this transition easy. I think it also make it, um, easier for your manager to, to, to try to support you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that communication and like deciding how to present it uh, is a very important step. And one of the things I love is like, I read that like Netflix, if you're, if you become a manager uh, and then you decide to go back to being an IC as an engineer, especially, cause they know that's where a lot of those happen, especially yeah. they, they literally throw a little team party when you do it. They like want to celebrate it. Yeah, which is amazing because it takes all the stigma away and it's like, no, we celebrate when you go back to the, the, the light side and you're a coder again. And so it takes away some of that stigma. Whereas, you know, just being honest, like I don't think that's how most companies handle it at this point. And so, uh, Fabian, I think you make a really good point. Like if you can specifically identify a role that is open in the company or open on your team that you're like, hey, I think this actually better suits me. And like, I'd like to take the opportunity to like move into that role and let's go fill like fill the management role yeah. instead. Um, I think that's a great way for even companies that aren't quite as progressive or cutting edge on some of this stuff yeah. for them to be like, oh, yeah, I mean, we need to fill that. And like, yeah, you're clearly good at that. So like it makes it a lot more natural than when a company is like, what do we do with you? Because yeah. you're not going to be a manager anymore. Um, also, maybe allows you to line up comp a little better, which you do have to realize that if you change roles, you're going to be yeah. compensated based on the new role. So yeah, also absolutely. understand that you may have to give a little bit of money back. But right. if you're happy, I don't know anybody who's ever lo- uh, looked back and said, you know right. what? I really regret taking that 10% pay cut to do a job right. I love instead of grinding on a job I hated. No one, yeah, no one ever feels, says that. You won't miss yeah. it in, in most <laughs> cases. Like it feels like it, it might be challenging to find equal value if you're super senior on the management side. Right? Yeah. If you're going to go from the CTO and you want to be like a, a, an IC, like it's going to be hard to make that case that this, these Correct. are equal value. Um, yeah. It's probably a little easier if you're kind of like a mid-level manager. But yeah. if it, like you said, like hopefully I'd love to get 
you know, in general, I'd love for people to be have the privilege because it really is a privilege to be mm-hmm. able to say, hey, I'll take a little bit less money to be happier in this role. Yeah. Um, and the, practically, you, you might also have to look elsewhere, right? If, if none of those True. things seem possible, you might have to look outside. But when you do, it's kind of a similar exercise, right? Where you can, yeah. you can use your experience as a manager to say, hey, you know, I tried this out. Now I know what, how I want to, what I'm motivated, where my strengths are. And I think I could be really good. You can also use that journey as a good mm-hmm. selling point if you're trying to find it um, externally, I think. Yeah, and I think also the uncertainty generally comes early in your career. So I've known many a people who have gone from like engineering manager to tech lead because they yeah. liked some of the management stuff and all of it. So all tech right. lead worked out sense. for them. Yeah. Or, you know, they move from engineering manager to like something involved in like, you know, uh, being the architect or, or some type of more senior uh, senior IC role. Or they move into sales engineering because right. they like that. And I mean, I'll tell you what, sales engineers, if, if you have – an affinity for that kind of thing, you can mint money. Right. Uh, they they do tremendously well. They get great commissions. They're still working on some technical problems depending yeah. on the product you're selling. Um, and so, like, there actually are a lot of options that you can then consider. But you're right. The, the, the further you get in seniority in the organization, it's definitely harder for you to kind of, like, change course, especially at the existing company because the number of options you have that are comparable are, yeah, are very different. Yeah, unless you're yeah. co-founder. I think the one time that like the exception <laughs> yeah. is is like co-founders. Like yeah. one of the oh, things I've thing. seen over and over again is you have somebody who's like founder and CTO and yeah. it turns out that they absolutely despise management. And it's like, "Oh, yeah. okay. We're going to hire a VP of engineering. They're going to do all the people stuff and you're yeah. just going to focus <laughs> on like speaking publicly, right. uh, skunk works projects, hacking on whatever Technical you want." Vision. Yep. Yeah, but like honestly, that's like the luxury bonus you get for being the co-founder and chewing yeah. glass for a couple years as like an <laughs> early employee and like writing yeah, yeah. a lot of the first version of the product. And exactly. so there is that rare world where, you know, if you're a co-founder listening to this and you're realizing you don't like management, <laughs> you know, just realize that you're in the one world where you probably do get to design your own role and just yeah. like go and hire somebody to take all the stuff you don't like off your plate and like you you are going to help your company do that, but but like somebody one or two layers below you does not have that luxury. Yeah, for sure. Um, can you maybe share a story? I don't know, maybe you had a client or somebody you mentored or something like that who went through this um, uh, that, that maybe was able to, hey, I tried it, it didn't work and what they went to and like maybe what happened with them? Yeah, I mean, I have um, I have a couple examples that come to mind. Uh, I, I did, there's a, a coachy that I had that, that very strong programmer managed uh, I guess three to four and got maybe three, actually maybe hit four for like a minute. Um, mm-hmm. And then at that, at some point they just like decided that it's not that they didn't like management and it's not that they were particularly bad, but like when they were looking at, again, what they wanted to do and where they were getting the most uh, satisfaction, they they felt like the, the management stuff just was a little bit lower. Uh, and so they had a conversation with their, with their manager who was supportive. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, it took months. Right, it, it took yeah. months for the, to that transition. They had to find another manager. They had to have the conversations with all the people on their team, uh, mm-hmm. and eventually they moved those people over. Uh, and I how know that how long was that journey? How long was that journey? You say how many months? I don't. I would probably say it's a full year, but oh, so wow. I'm guessing, right? I'm I'm guessing a little bit, but yeah. when you said full journey, I'm going from like that time where they think mm, maybe it's time for me to not be a manager to the official yep. time where they're not a manager. I think yep. that 
point might have been like you know 12 nine months or something mm-hmm. the point where they said something um and they sort of got the ball rolling uh, and then went from like man- manager to non-manager was probably six months ish okay um and there's another story somebody that that i just know from the organization that i haven't um coached myself but i i do know somebody that was like you know, a co-founder that was early in a tech startup had a lot of uh, success. At some point, was was managing uh, a team of uh, maybe a department of like a hundred, and they mm-hmm. got later on in their career where they're like, and, then, and this is where it's really a privilege. But I, I hope we get to a point where more people get this choice, where they were like, that's not what I want to do. Like, I want to go and just write some interesting code, and I absolutely don't want to manage. Um, and I'm happy to take a little step down in my title, in my comp, um, and, and they're just really happy being like a really senior I, I, IC person. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that's, that is really a privileged story, but I have seen that happen too. Cool. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, and one of the things I told Fabian off air before we got started that's really yeah. important is we try to make these episodes super actionable. And so I think we've weaved in some things that, that hopefully if you're reading between the lines, you know some things to check out. But we want to we kind of bring it home here and, and wrap it up with uh, some, some questions around what people can specifically do if you know, some of the topics we talked about today really resonate. So first of all, for someone who's thinking about becoming a manager, what are like two or three things that they can do that will help them understand if it's actually something they should pursue? You know, before they actually get the job, what are things they could do before that to help them get closer to understanding like, eh, maybe this isn't for me or yeah, this is definitely something I want to go hard about. I want to really push my manager about opportunities and, or, or look at other jobs that could give me my entry level management opportunity. What are those like two or three things that they could literally take their earbuds out, take their headphones off and start doing today? Start doing. I love, I love this question. I'm going to cheat a little and I'm going to use one that that I already, I'm going to use I'll give you three, and the okay. first one I already mentioned. So I think for starters, sure. I would go and start reading, find a management book, start reading management blogs, or listen to podcasts, and 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 see if if that sort of entices you to go down that rabbit hole. Like, does that feel like work? Uh, not only you know notice how, how you feel when you do it, but it also mm-hmm. is very practical and helps you prepare and learn about management, and it, you'll be more prepared when you're ready to make that transition. So the, the first one would be start reading, start having conversations. It's just like trying to learn more about management as a, a, as a skill, as a practice. The yeah. second one, very practical, is within your organization, because this will vary a lot, mm-hmm. start to have conversations or, or, or read any documentation that's out there to understand what does management mean at your in your organization? Like, what are the values that your organization has for their managers? If you can and you, and you have this trust or you know people that are managers, what is their day-to-day like? You know, how are they evaluated, right? Try to learn uh, specifically at your organization what does management look like? Um, and you can use that just to, to already start carving out, you know, maybe even like your, your promotion dis- discussion. You, you could start thinking about how you talk about with your manager and say, hey, you know, I know that here we value A, B, and C, and I think I'm pretty good at this, and I, I would need that, and how can we work together to make progress and close those gaps? So this is um, like reaching out to have like a virtual, either virtual because it's COVID or in-person uh, coffee with some of these people, like literally like, so hey, you, I want to yeah. talk to you about like what your career is like. 
like and what it's like being a manager at our company can can i talk to you for you know 20 minutes or go for a yeah walk? a little coffee a pure one-on-one also if you have uh if you have the career if your company organization has the career paths documented they might have a lot of this stuff already documented and they you know, they might have a published philosophy on like this is like google will tell you this is what we think makes man- make managers uh successful at google because we've done the research right a yeah. lot of companies don't have that um right. but you might have a job description or whatnot just try to find out a lot more about the specific role um and, and specific meaning like for you where you are in your team what right. would be the specific role that you would be going to as the first first your first jump to management um, sure. just so you understand that a little bit more mm-hmm. and then the last thing practical thing that I'd say is try to find opportunities to, to test this out right try to look for opportunities to like mentor an intern or, uh, or mentor a, a, a onboard a new hire right try to find any of these skills that you can do in your current role to help you mm-hmm. test some of the skills uh, that you will need as a manager Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, interviewing, for example, it, it's very, yeah. very different. Like having an interview than a one on one is very, very different. But the yeah. communication skills are sometimes very related. Right. The, right. the ability to ask an open ended question and, and to get people to share their thoughts with you mm-hmm. related. Right. Running a meeting. Right. Running a meeting is something that you might have to do as a manager. Getting mm-hmm. people to participate They're They're probably if you think about it, you can probably find four five, six different things that you could that people in your role are currently doing or that you could ask to do that would give you some practice and that might give you some feedback on whether this is interesting and are you a good fit? Like, are you good at it? Um, both things are, are important, right? You want to find both. Or do you have, you don't have to be good at it now, but do you have any right. indications that you have strengths that will fill, you know, fit well for, for doing that activity? So those are, those are the three things that I, that I, would, I would come up with. That's great. That's great. Yeah, these are these are these are things you can do right away. You can shoot off an email to a couple people for those those coffees and ask about where those docs may exist quickly, like DMing someone in Slack, uh, and you just keep your eye out over the next couple of weeks for opportunities to volunteer for some of the kind of mentoring, onboarding, interviewing kind of stuff. Yeah, and totally on your own. Uh, you know, I like. I, I think maybe we should call it the uh, the, the Fabian Kindle test. open open up your kindle and like what are you reading lately in the uh the world of nonfiction? and um if it's all engineering it's all technical or it's all specific to your ic role then start sprinkling in some some people and management related stuff and see do you enjoy reading it or does it feel like a chore and you have to like you know handcuff yourself to the chair to read it (laughs) exactly you know that's that's a great way to tell like you know for some of you this may be shocking but like I remember in college reading Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People and thinking the stories about how they like delighted employees and stuff was like the coolest thing ever. I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. I want to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Um, versus like some of my friends were like, why? You know, why would you want to read that, Jason? Yeah. Um, and so look, looking for that, I think those are these are three great suggestions. And on the flip side, Fabian, last question I wanted to sure. ask. Um, was for those already a manager who maybe yeah. are pretty new at it, um, what are the kinds of things at a high level um, they should focus on to be successful as a first-time manager? How can they start off at least on the right foot, whether it turns out you know, a year from now they're actually stepping back? Yeah, no, uh, I love that question too. Uh, and I have two, two things that, that, that come to mind. And the first, I think, will be near and dear to your heart, right? Yeah. The first thing I would say is is look at your one-on-ones and and try to evaluate how they are now and and try to improve them. 
Right? Mm-hmm. I think if you were to write a list of all the things that you need to do as a manager, uh, and then and then think about you know which of those you can do in a one on one, and which of those are are you can do particularly well or particularly suited to a one on one conversation, mm-hmm. you would see that there's a big subset of that, right? Mm-hmm. The one on one is not the only tool that management managers have. There's other interactions that are that are important, but I feel like it's the it's such a versatile tool, mm-hmm. right? That if if you have to pick one thing that you want to improve as a manager, trying to improve this recurring meeting that you have every week, every other week with everybody on your team, can have mm-hmm. such a positive impact. Uh, totally. And I promise, Jason didn't pay me for this, uh, <laughs> but there's some there's some awesome articles on the Get Lighthouse blog. There's one that's even called uh, the One on One Development, right? That looks at like different stages of development of your one on ones. Uh, there's just a lot of good stuff in that blog, and I've used that blog uh, for years to help me talk about one on ones. There's tons of one on one questions. Um, it's a really good source for for this topic. Um, but that is the, the first thing that comes to mind is try to improve your one on ones. Totally. We'll drop a bunch of links in the in the uh, show show notes to help get you started on some of the things he talked about. It's cool. Uh, so, what's number two? What's the second? And one? N- number two is is going back to that um, to one of those things that's really challenging for engineering managers mm-hmm. is to to coach a little bit more. And and I'll be very specific about what what this means, right? Um, when somebody come and comes and asks you a question, right? I think. It would be a mistake for me to say, "Oh, you should you should change your style rat- drastically and go from mm-hmm. what you're doing now to a pure coaching style." I think yeah. what a, the, the the practical advice is: try to ask a few more questions, even if it's one or two, and give a little bit less advice and direction. So, if somebody comes and asks you a question and you have an answer and you're excited to tell them that answer, I'm not telling you not to give them that answer. Just try to pause and refrain, mm-hmm. just for a little bit and ask one, maybe two coaching questions. And you can go yeah. online and, and find some, some good ones. Generally speaking, what or how open it a question. Yeah. What are you trying to achieve? What does success look like? Uh, what ideas have you had so far? There's a ton of these. And if you can, you can even find one or two that you like and just start using those. Right. Yeah. As a just tweak to your current style. And then once you've explored those questions, go ahead and just, if you want, tell them the answer that you had in mind and go back to your regular style. Mm-hmm. I think that that could be a good way for you to try this on for size and see what it feels like and sort of experience, you know, that style. And then then you can see, like, how do those conversations feel differently and, and what are the different outcomes and, and was it a little bit better? And maybe then you want to go down that route, down that road and try to do a little bit more of that. But Ask a few more questions, give a little bit less advice would be my, my second one. Absolutely. And those are great, Fabian. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate you for joining us today. How can people find you on, on the internet if they, if they want to learn more about you or, or fo- follow some of the things maybe you write and talk about? Sure, yeah. Um, so I have a website at managingdev.com where I, I blog whenever I have the time, which is not that often. Uh, you can also find me at, uh, on Twitter at, at managingdev. Um, and also on LinkedIn, uh, Fabian Camargo, uh, you should be able to find me that way. 
Cool. We'll put those in the show notes as well. Um, so th- thanks again, Fabian, for joining us. I think this is a fantastic discussion. And of course, as always, if you have follow-up questions, you know, let us know. And we're always looking for inspiration for future episodes and, and things to uh, continue to help out managers in their journey. So thanks again, Fabian, for joining us. And we'll see you all next time. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. It was a real pleasure.